Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome uh, to this FS Club webinar on all party parliamentary groups. What purpose do they serve? Uh, my name is Ian Harris. I'm uh, one of the directors of the, the Zien Group, um, and it is my um, honour, privilege and delight to introduce to you today Anthony Bell Chambers. Um, Anthony is a barrister and he chairs the uh, advisory group um, uh, to the All-Party Parliamentary Group for Financial Markets and, and Services. Um, he's chair of several other uh, companies um, and many of you will, uh, I, I think, remember him um, as the founder and CEO of the, the Futures and Options Association, which is now the FIA. Um, and um, Anthony's going to talk about this fascinating subject of All-Party Parliamentary groups. I, I'm, I, for one, am really uh, very much looking forward to hearing what he has to say and hearing the uh, discussion uh, about this topic, um, uh, not, 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 not least because I, I think this type of parliamentary group is, um, if not unique, very unusual to the UK. Um, and it's, it's quite in, in, intriguing to me to, to see how, you know, how it fits in to our um, our system of, 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 of governance here and how that possibly relates to the, to, to the way that the UK interacts with other parts of the world. Um, we're here really thanks to our um, sponsors and members of the FS Club. Um, so I, I really would like to, uh, before we start, uh, thank um, all of the uh, sponsors and members of the uh, club who allow us to have this broad range of topics um, in our webinar. Uh, program because without um, the generosity and forbearance of our uh, members, we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to do this. So this is a, a, a list um, of, uh, 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 of of all of our uh, members at the moment. Um, the uh, agenda for today is a pretty straightforward one. Uh, it says that I'm going to talk for five minutes. I'm hoping to finish well within that. And then Anthony is going to talk for about 20 minutes, um, and then we will have time for questions and answers afterwards. Um, you will all have a questions panel in your GoToWebinar setup, and we ask you to uh, put your questions into that panel. Uh, we are sort of locked into this chamber with you while we are here. So um, if you do fire off interesting questions to us by, um, uh, by email and by text and all, all of those wonderful things, we get them afterwards. We don't get them during the discussion. So um, really, if you can limit your questions, um, to, to that uh, questions panel, that would be, be helpful. And we really do welcome questions. We think this is a topic that is really one for discussion um, uh, amongst a group of people who've joined us uh, today, um, as much if not more than, um, than, 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 than a talk. Um, and so we hope to have about 20 minutes for questions and answers and close about 9.45. Um, so I, I think that's really all that I need to say. So without further ado, um, I'd like to hand over to Anthony Bell Chambers. Well, Ian, thanks, thanks very much for that. Um, and I will do my best to keep within my 20 minutes, if I can put it that way. And I know that your face will suddenly emerge if I'm overrunning, just to remind me. Um, so good morning, everyone. Uh, I, I'm here really to give you an overview of what these things are called all-party parliamentary groups and the purpose that they serve and how they perform. Um, as you've heard, I'm the chairman of the advisory group to the all-party parliamentary group on financial markets and services. Uh, and the current parliamentary chairman um, is Bim Afalami uh, MP. Uh, and this is a group that I started about 
18 years ago, but more of that later. Uh, so can we turn to our first slide, please? Uh, this really summarizes what these groups are. Uh, and the key words there are informal cross-party groups. Uh, they can be influential, and it's right that they should be influential, but they have no official standing in Parliament. And that means they shouldn't be confused in any way with select committees, which obviously do have that standing. Uh, they were first established in 1930, and their purpose is to provide an opportunity for dialogue on specific subjects, sectors, and countries. And they're broken down into those various groups, and we'll, we'll come to that in the next slide. So if we could have the second slide, please. Um, all these APPGs are listed on a register. It's updated every six weeks. Uh, we have this uh, rather strange situation where when there's an election, all of them are suspended, formally suspended. And then when the new government is in place, they have to reapply to go on the register. The interesting thing is how they've grown. And as you can see, I've put there their number has nearly trebled since 1996 to 718 groups. That's an awful lot of groups. Um, and they break down into these two groupings. Uh, there are 130 country groups. Uh, and uh, it isn't always about the US and Germany and France. As you can see, we've got the polar regions, the Pitcairn Islands, uh, most of the states in the African continent, uh, and so on. So there are 130 of them. And then there are 588 subject groups. Uh, I put aerospace to American football, but it includes wrestling, it includes cyber, it includes just about every subject that and topic that impacts our daily life. Um, and those are the sort of groups that, that uh, have established. And many of them, as I say, have grown since 1996. Um, so if we can move to our next slide. Uh, so how are these groups actually run? How are they administrated? Uh, and it's a mixed bag. Some of them are run by their parliamentary officers and their staff, so they would be run out of a parliamentary office. Uh, others are run and with a secretariat provided by external bodies. Uh, more of that a, a little later. Uh, they vary too in how active they are. Some are pretty dormant because uh, even though they, are, they cover an important topic or an important country, uh, there may be no issues to discuss. And so there isn't much point in the meeting. Um, so they, they really are, if you like, in waiting for when an issue arises. Others are very active. I like to think that, that we're pretty active and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about our group later on. Uh, so that it is a very mixed bag of groups. Now, I've said there that some of them are run by external bodies, and in some cases, those external bodies may be special interest groups or uh, professional lobbyists. And that raises a concern about conflicts of interest. And, and I'm going to cover some of the concerns that attach to these groups uh, a little later on. And there are also concerns about how they're supported financially. Where is the money coming from? How is it being spent? And there certainly has been some controversy around travel. And I put the word hospitality there, but I think I really should put in front of that lavish hospitality, because most of these groups will provide coffees and teas and breakfasts and various things like that. Um, and again, we can talk about that a, a little later on. Um, so, 
if I can uh, move over to the next slide, this is really um, what do they do? Uh, you, you, some of you will have heard about these groups and may be pretty unclear about how they operate. Well, I've put a range of activities there. Um, educational briefings so that parliamentarians can better understand some of the topics that they're being called to legislate upon. Uh, there will be debates. I wouldn't say that they're sort of Oxford Union-style debates. They're more like active discussions on topical issues. Um, others will issue reports. Uh, we, our group has issued two reports over its uh, fairly long span of life, uh, which is not a lot of reports. Some conduct surveys and produce the findings in public. Others hold inquiries. They actually replicate some of them can replicate the way a select committee operates uh, but as i say emphasize again they are informal they have no official standing as such some have been known to introduce private members bills that is fairly rare um, and i think the second index is the critical one so however they operate and however they're supported their sole purpose is to meet the needs of parliamentarians and not their own needs uh, so that means they must always take a lead from the officers of the APPG as to what topics they should be covering. Uh, and that also means that, as we do, we clear our forward agenda, our suggested agenda with the officers to make sure that it's meeting those needs. Okay, if we can uh, move on to the next slide. Um, I've mentioned just before that there are concerns over how these APPGs operate uh, and, and let me put this right on the record that most of them are squeaky clean but there are issues about getting the balance right uh, and the first one that I've indicated there is do they draw an effective line between providing information and I've used the word overt lobbying because in the provision of information uh, people unless it's pure fact People will be driven by what they feel, what they think, by their own agenda, and will look to be persuasive in putting forward information. So in a sense, you could say there's some sort of surrogate lobbying going on, but that's part of human nature. That is what we do when we present on topics, we give a point of view. Um, lobbying is a rather different activity. It isn't just about providing information. It is driving for a specific outcome. And people who do seek to do that, lobbyists, are paid in order to do that. So they represent a particular sector or a particular company. There's nothing wrong with that, but it is something that APBGs must be careful not to do. It is a very thin line, uh, but it is a red line and it mustn't be crossed. So that is a, a key question about lobbying. And we can talk about that later on. I mentioned country groups in this context. Um, the second one is conflicts of interest. Are they being managed effectively? Now, being realistic, uh, we all have conflicts of interest. We've got to be uh, open about this. It's quite clear that we all do. Financial services is riddled with conflicts of interest. There's nothing essentially wrong with that. I mean, we're a, a broad, diverse society. We're bound to have conflicts of interest in everything we do and say. The question is, are those conflicts disclosed? Can they be avoided? Because if they can, they should be. 
if they can't be avoided, then are they being properly managed? And I, I've given an example there that some parliamentary members may also be special advisors. So they will be paid special advisors in some cases. Uh, and how do you manage that? I've also mentioned the question of lobbyists who are paid to drive a specific outcome. And when they get involved with an APPG, it's important that they understand that the APPGs must not engage in lobbying. So there are conflicts of interest and they do need to be addressed. Uh, the third one I put there is financial contributions. Um, there's been some controversy in the past with one or two parliamentary groups where uh, they've paid for um, foreign travel, not always to an exotic location, uh, on the basis of a fact-finding mission. And there's always a little bit of a question that sits over that kind of thing. Um, as a group, we don't do that. Uh, we don't engage in that. Um, but the, the, there is an issue to make sure that these financial contributions are modest and allocated. Where do they, who's paying for the group to operate? Who's providing the secretariat? How is the money being spent? Is it transparent? I mean, for example, all our, our funding and, and everything that we do is, is on our website. So we, we disclose fully, we're fully financially transparent. Hospitality is another thing. It can, I mean, I, I think the issue is lavish hospitality, really, as I mentioned earlier, is the question. I mean, some basic hospitality is inevitable. Believe it or not, in the US, uh, regulators have forbidden even from taking a sandwich from from um, from some of the people that they meet uh, because they don't want to be seen to be taking any form of hospitality. Uh, I don't think we go quite that far over here, but nevertheless, um, hospitality is an issue. Uh, the last point there, to what extent are country APPGs used by foreign governments? Now, uh, there are, it is really important that we have country groups because this uh, en enables people to discuss and engage on foreign policy issues and better understanding where other countries are coming from. But where that APPG is, can be used by a foreign government to actually lobby for its own foreign policy. And there may be countries, of course, which have, shall we say, doubtful records on human rights. There may be countries that have all sorts of issues about corruption. It is important that those country APPGs are properly run and aren't used by foreign governments as a means of influencing policy. So these are very fine balances. Um, and it's not surprising, therefore, that the first, and we had a, an initial uh, review of the role and practices of APPGs by the Standards Committee in 2013, uh, they last year they announced that they were going to review the role and practices of APPGs again. Um, I think it's partly driven by the growth that I indicated in the first slide. It's partly driven by the fact that there have been instances. Fortunately, there haven't been too many, but there have been a few instances where some parliamentary groups have crossed the line in one or two of these areas. So it's right that the Standards Committee should start reviewing. And in fact, I think they held their very first oral evidence sessions, the first one on Tuesday. So they are proceeding going ahead with this. And I think it's reasonable to expect that there will be some toughening up of the rules that govern APBGs. And uh, just if you like, as an aside, um, 
those rules are pretty high level, but in fairness, they do cover everything from financial management to APBGs, how they should hold their AGMs, to issues about security and passes and all those other things. Uh, for example, each group is required to have four officers. Now, they can be drawn from either house, but uh, nevertheless, uh, when it comes to the chairman and at least one other of those four officers, they must be an MP. In other words, they come from the elected house. And you would be not surprised to know that there are controls on campaigning, how they get involved with political campaigns, and also, as I mentioned earlier, lobbying. Uh, now, some of those rules may be tightened up. As I said earlier on, and I think it's right to say this, that um, APBGs have a very real role to play. Uh, Ian mentioned that he thought that they were fairly unique. Um, I think they are. I don't think you would find the equivalent in many other countries around the world. I may be wrong about that. I mean, in, in the EU, for example, most of the lobbying is directed towards the Commission, which is, as you know, they're unelected, and this is why people talk about the democratic deficit, because they initiate legislation in a way that doesn't happen here. Um, so the lobbying is directed towards the Commission. It's, it's a very different type of thing, and it's, um, it's become a lot more sophisticated with the introduction of various regulations and directives. Uh, commercial interests have had to pay a lot more attention to what's going on in the EU over the last 20 years, 30 years, and that has led to a much more sophisticated lobbying system in the EU. Um, there are fora. I, I did, with one or two others, start a, a financial services forum in the EU. That was a long time ago now. Um, so there are discussion groups, but they're not in the same, they're not set up in the same way. They don't do the same things. Um, so they're very different in the EU. In the US, um, it's different again. I mean, there we have a very advanced, very powerful lobbying system. And as you know, some of the lobbyist, lobbyists are extremely powerful with uh, in Congress. So it's a different structure over there. And I think it's part, very much a part of the system. And the other dynamic is that, of course, um, electoral costs of individual members of Congress and senators and everyone else, they need vast amounts of money to do what they do. And that leads to sometimes donation scandals and, and various things like that. So it is a very different structure there. And I don't think in the US either they have anything like these parliamentary groups. So let me move to the next slide now, because I think this brings me on to what their advantages are. And I think they are considerable. Uh, for all the concerns I mentioned earlier, I think most of these groups are squeaky clean and they do a good job. And here are the advantages. So the first one is, thank goodness for this, that they can facilitate a cross-party approach on key issues. For those of you who are heartily fed up with confrontational politics uh, and do believe that the interests of the country demand that a slightly more um, consensual approach to government should be adopted, this is really what drives the APPGs. Um, they are trying to do a cross-party approach uh, on key issues, and that can sometimes lead to, for example, reports where you get the government, sorry, the sun is now beginning to shine through this window, so you can see me slightly in the shadows, um, but they have a, uh, if you like, they, the whole approach is to try and get opposition parties 
and the government to agree on a report or, a, or, or an accepted approach. The second thing, the second advantage is they promote a better understanding of the different priorities between parliamentarians and non-parliamentarians. Um, and that's important because most non-parliamentarians are driven by social issues or commercial issues. Those are their top priorities or competitive issues, uh, whereas parliamentarians are largely driven by what is in the public good, what is in the public interest, and therefore there can be a lack of meeting of minds. And this really helps to, if, a, if an APPG is doing its job properly, each side will better understand the other and, and the drivers behind why the other takes the positions that they do. The third one is specialist reports. Uh, as I say, we've produced two. Um, uh, and um, I think the value of those specialist reports, and I refer again to why one again, is often they have to be signed off. Uh, if an APBG is going to produce it, they have to be signed off by the officers who are drawn from different parties. So they're not only specialist reports, but they have the advantage of being consensual reports. Uh, and this is the main thing I think that they do is uh, they hold briefings and talks and sessions on various topics. Sometimes they can be very complex, so it's good to get some experts to come along and talk about something. It may be a special interest group, so they attract a particular group of MPs from both part from all parties um, to come and pay attention to what's being said and to better understand a particular topic. So there are really real advantages in these APPGs. Um, can we go to the next slide, please? Um, we have, I'm going to, uh, it's not a promotion, I'm not trying to promote our APPG, please don't misunderstand me, but I think it's good to understand how a particular APPG works. So the one that I'm involved with was founded in 2003, and, and the reason that, that I sort of initiated it was um, I was a little bit surprised that a sector which made such a significant contribution um, to UK GDP didn't have um, its own parliamentary group. And there was one in, on insurance, but nothing to do with nothing on the markets themselves. So that was set up in 2000, uh, 2003. Uh, we have 15 parliamentary officers uh, drawn from all the parties um, and we have observer members uh, and these have an important part to play. Our observer members are drawn from the PRA, the FCA and the Bank of England um, and the reason that we have observers is really to make sure that our agendas cover everything from regulatory priorities to economic priorities to priorities for customers as well as what is prioritized by the industry. So in other words, we make sure that we cover all the angles um, in our presentations and our breakfast briefings. The events are attended regularly by members from both houses. Uh, as you can see, we hold six one-hour breakfast briefings a year. Now these are done obviously on Zoom calls and uh, we have one annual dinner, which of course we haven't been holding for the last couple of years. And this usually attracts a senior guest speaker. So in the past, we've had governor of the Bank of England, we've had um, a chancellor of the Exchequer, uh, we've had various senior people from abroad as well to come and talk to, to the group. I think we had, if 
I remember correctly, we, we, we had the uh, chairman of the SEC who was paying a visit, so we organized a, um, a, a dinner for him. And we do smaller dinners for visiting senior speakers from abroad. So the, the idea is really to encourage an exchange of views. It's not much more than that. They give a short presentation uh, and then it's open to questions. Uh, as I said earlier, we issued two research reports. One was really relating to the CAP, so you can see <laughs> common agricultural policy, so it does go back away. Um, but it was really sort of saying, look, you know, there are other ways of managing risk apart from government subsidy. Uh, and then our last report was really on post-Brexit report, which was really sort of trying to address the issue of Parliament is now going to be covering an awful lot of more topics which were originally covered by the European Commission, um, where, if you like, the, the, the issue would be addressed by the Commission on behalf of the Member States. Now we're going to have to do a lot of stuff ourselves. And so it's how do we do that efficiently? How do we stop overwhelming parliamentarians? And how do we make sure that all the different elements of regulation work in sync and work well together? Uh, and I mentioned earlier, but we clear all our agendas with the officers. Uh, if we can go to our last slide, and I see it's popped up there as a reminder, so I'll finish briefly on this. <laughs> um, we, uh, the, the APPG that I'm involved with is run by this industry advisory group, which is a cross-section of trade bodies and market infrastructure operators. It doesn't include individual firms, and, and there's a reason for that, because individual firms often have, understandably, their own business agendas, their own priorities. And I think it's important that we act as collectively as we can. And we include market infrastructure operators for the simple reason that they are networks as well. So, and they drive the market. So it's very important that they're represented. Uh, we scrutinize our costs carefully. We do not, I emphasize, support individual travel expenses of MPs on fact-finding missions or anything of that nature and uh, we are quite cautious about hospitality and the last the last uh, indent there is pretty obvious we are fully compliant and are we are fully transparent with what we do and i'm happy to take questions on that and with that over to you ian anthony thank you i don't know whether it was just for me but the uh, the screen froze for the last few moments and i didn't hear your last two or three sentences i don't know whether you would, would mind repeating them Sure. Um, I think all I was saying was that really just reiterating what's on the slide, that all our costs and expenses, we scrutinize them very carefully. We are totally transparent on our financing. It's all on our website. Um, and we don't engage in supporting MPs uh, going on fact-finding missions abroad. And we don't do engage in lavish hospitality expenses. So um, essentially, I was just closing down on, on the way we operate. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Well, the questions are flooding in now, um, yeah. uh, uh, and, and as I expected, they're, 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 they're coming in right at the end, so I have, hardly have time to process them. Uh, but I will um, start with what I think is a fairly uh, quick and, 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 and easy question for you from Hugh Purser, um, or a specific question, I should say, rather than an easy one. Who selects the chair of each APPG, and does that person have prior domain knowledge of the country or the sector? They don't always have prior knowledge. I mean, looking again, I can only look at our APPG. So what happens is you 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 look for a volunteer, you put up a nomination, and then the officers 
basically decide if they're happy with with um, with that parliamentarian. Uh, and you know they don't they don't necessarily have a particular brief for this topic. Um, uh, and in terms of myself as as a sort of industry chairman of the parliamentary group, um, the industry decide whether they they want me to continue or not. So they they actually that that's their decision. Um, but I have to be clear as well with the parliamentarians as being a chap that you know they think they can work with. Thank you for that. Um, th th there's another specific question that I'm, I'm uh, going to ask before we move on to one or two of the more um, sort of general or discussion questions. This one's from Ian Neal, and he said, you spoke of parliamentarians and non-parliamentarians. Does that mean that membership is not confined to elected MPs and to Lords? And if so, who else can be a member as distinct from an observer of an APPG? Well, we have, I mean, in a sense, the APBG itself comprises only of parliamentarians. Um, now, non-parliamentarians can join, if, if the rules permit, uh, they can join uh, the advisory group. We have an associate member category which takes on individual firms. So if anyone's interested in doing that, um, they can, and, and it gives them a right to attend various meetings if they wish. Um, so we do, it's not a closed circuit in that sense, but one must remember always that we are there to serve the needs of the parliamentarians. And so the, the group itself, the parliamentary group, is very much comprised of members of both houses. Th th thank you for that. Um, I'm, I, I'm now going to, to read what I think is more of a comment than a question, but it actually leads in quite, quite nicely to... Um, uh, to, to, to some follow-up questions. Uh, th this, this comment comes from Bob McDowell, um, who's a former member of the States of Alderney. Um, uh, so he says, by way of observation rather than question, I sat on the UK cross-parliamentary group on the Channel Islands for two years. We met twice a year at the House. Each island raised issues via free ports. Um, the group was co-chaired by a Labour and Conservative MP, we followed the meeting with a dinner at the House of Commons. Benefits um, were face-to-face -face meetings and shooting the breeze. Much of the substance during my time was Brexit. Occasionally, a minister from the Ministry of Justice would join the meeting. The MPs were solicitors, um, but, but frankly have very little power to take legislative matters forward. But on balance, um, it was helpful. And he's sent a little update to that uh, note talking about costs. With respect to costs, each island paid the cost of its attendance and the cost of teas, dinners, etc. was picked up by the parliamentary group. We tended to have three to five MPs attending a meeting and dinner uh, because their particular interest, uh, because of their particular interest in certain facets of relationships between the UK and Channel Islands. Um, uh, and as I mentioned uh, previously, this related mainly at that time to Brexit. Um, so, 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 so that, that that is another example of somebody who's been. Uh, deeply involved in one of these things and I and I think it echoes you know, pr 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 pretty much in mood um, uh, what you're saying Anthony. I, 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 I've given quite a bit of thought to the sort of ethical uh, side of all of this and particularly you know the comparison between what, what we're doing in the UK and perhaps the way these, these things work in, in, in other countries particularly where lobbying is much stronger and I think that the, the, the two ethical concerns that, 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 that I sort of have if I try to um, condense them um, uh, into this question of are people trying to buy influence through 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 these groups? Is, you know, is, 
are, are you whining and dining and uh, 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 or, or even in a more direct way um, trying to buy influence with uh, uh, politicians if you are then this is to my mind it's like you know crossing ethical lines mm -hmm. if you're if you're not um, then it's not and the second area is is around transparency um, it, it, is it apparent to um, you know, other industries, other organisations, other other countries, what's going on, or is this some sort of a um, sort of backroom, you know, smoke-filled um, deals are being done without anybody really understanding uh, how it's happening and, and and why? Those are the two things um, that, that would worry me uh, about an unethical version of, the, of these things. And your comments about the group that you've been involved with and, and, and Dee Bob's uh, about his, um, do not fill me with those ethical fears. Mm. Uh, but, but I'd be interested to know, you know your, your, your view around those two right. ethical worries, if you like. Well, look, let me be absolutely clear about this, that our group doesn't do backroom deals. That's not, that's not what we engage in. We wouldn't touch them with a barge pole, to be honest with you. Um, it, so, you know, I can't answer for other groups because I don't know how they operate behind the scenes. I can only explain how we operate behind the scenes as, as a group. And, and, and you've heard, obviously, from, from one of the delegates about how they operate, which seems to me to be perfectly right and proper. And it's important, though, that we are transparent so that people can see we don't engage in that kind of activity. And that we are there for enhancing parliamentary understanding over issues which frankly they are governing and developing legislation so it's important that they understand what what they're doing and, and what the what the issues are um, in terms of uh, i hope we're fully transparent and i would encourage every other appg to be exactly as transparent as we are um, so that you can put these concerns to bed it, buying influence um, I come back to this thing about, you know, if you are um, a member of the industry group, let's say the industry group, you're there because you have a point of view and you're keen to see how it can be expressed and, and you want an opportunity for stating that point of view, or there may be an issue that you think should be aired and you leave it to the parliamentary group to decide how that's going to be aired, what kind of experts are going to be there, whether we're going to have people for and against on both sides, um, to try and present it as fairly as possible. Um, so we don't, when you say, I mean, the nearest we would get to anything like what you've mentioned in, is at the parliamentary dinner, for example. Um, we fund the dinner, uh, the APBG pays for that dinner. Uh, we get quite a lot of parliamentarians. We have a lot of guests, which range from economic councillors and ambassadors um, from other countries here, over here, obviously. Um, and we try and make sure that the seating is, is in a fair way. We get parliamentarians mixing with other people at each table. So we, yes, in that sense, we enhance access. But is anyone buying that access? No, they're not. We're simply just facilitating dialogue. So I think if we ever engage, I'd be horrified if, if, if anyone was engaged in buying access. I mean, that, that, that is completely the wrong thing to do. But facilitating access at an event I think it's perfectly okay. Nobody pays for it. Nobody's buying it. We just organize the table so that you have a cross-section of groups so they can facilitate a conversation. Uh, but I, I hope that answers your question. 
It, it, it does. I mean, I, I, I also have a, a, a little test that I, an ethical test that I do for, for, for this sort of uh, thing, uh, which is sort, sort of one of my own, which, which is um, how often do I read about this type of thing in private eye, which I have read um, regularly, religiously for many decades. Um, and the, the answer with all party parliamentary groups is, is, is I think, hardly ever, is, is, if ever. Is, is, is probably the answer. So, so you're 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 not sparking the interest of uh, um, of, 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 of that type of, of, of ethics police, which is uh, which is which, which is which is probably a good thing. Um, I, I would like to come back to something else in in in, in Bob's um, comments, which is which is his his notion that he's not really sure how how, how influential. Um, the, the, the group is, and of course, this 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 is the the, the other side of that balancing act that you're that you're, 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 you're you're trying to do. Okay, it's you know it, it's not buying influence. It's uh, it, it's it's open and transparent. Is it therefore a waste of time because it has no influence at all? I don't think the answer is yes. By the way, but I, I'd be interested to, to to know the extent to which you think, from your own experience and perhaps from from what you know about some of the other groups. Um, that, that, that you could demonstrate that there is an element of useful, you know, influence or, or sharing of, uh, of information and debate through these groups. Well, I, I think we wouldn't want to, as a group, exercise undue influence. I use the word undue because um, if we're unpacking an issue and making it clearer for parliamentarians, then we're be, hopefully we're being helpful, and to that extent, we're being influential. Um, if we were to try and engage in the kind of soft lobbying activities that would give us influence over parliamentary thinking, that's something we shouldn't do. We're not there to do that. We're really there to help parliamentarians better understand the issues over which they're legislating or commenting on in public so that they can feel more confident in what they're dealing with and they can better understand those issues. So to that extent, I plead guilty to maybe a little bit of influence, but I think it's positive and helpful influence in a democratic world where parliamentarians who obviously have no expertise in certain topics, nevertheless have to tick box and put in a vote on those topics. So if we're enlarging their understanding and helping them to deal with what are sometimes quite technical and complex issues, then we're doing a very positive role. And I, and I think that is largely what our role is about. Uh, Anthony, thank you very much for, for uh, answering those um, questions and, and, and indeed for, for, for your talk. I, I'm a, um, a, a, a believer in, the, in, in, in this sort of thing. I, um, um, I, I, I don't have the sort of ethical concerns about them as, as, as I do about what, what, whatever it is that, that happens in, in, in Washington, for example, where, which feels to me whenever I go there like lobbying central and I don't understand it. Uh, but I do know that 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 that, that, that I'm I, I'm not doing that. That I, I I couldn't possibly have influence over, over anyone who matters in in Washington because I'm not part of that of that sea. So uh, um, uh, you know the the, the fact that the, the the neighborhood where a lot of it happens is called Foggy Bottom um, just sort of sums, sums Washington up to me in in, in my mind. And the, the UK system just feels a little bit um, a, 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 a little bit uh, less worrying than that. Um, uh, from 
from from my point of view. The the other thing that I take away from 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 the the, 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 the talk is um, is this notion of because it's cross party, it's not confrontational conflict politics. It's about trying to make sure that everybody understands. Um, and, and I'm definitely one of those people who is who, who is finding the um, you know the, the, the conflict type uh, politics uh, tiring, um, particularly at the moment. I think where we, we're, these things go in cycles, but I think we're we're we're, we're in a, a, a high conflict cycle at the moment, where where things don't seem to be about consensus and, see, and, 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 and seem a, a little too um, too 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 binary for for, for my personal. Um, taste. Um, the uh, notes that are starting to come in now are not questions, they're people thanking us, um, which tells me that we're getting uh, uh, towards or have actually reached um, the, the, the end of our time. So I would like to, to, to move on with a few um, votes of thanks, um, three votes of thanks. Uh, firstly, a vote of thanks to the audience. You've been terrific. Thank you so much for your, for your questions and your attention. I can see you've been a very attentive audience um, today. Uh, my second vote of thanks is to our sponsors. Um, again, um, for, for your generosity and forbearance, there's a list of them uh, up, up on the screen once more. Um, we, we are just so grateful to you for uh, sponsoring the club and enabling us to uh, to do this sort of thing. I know many people in the audience are, um, are grateful to you and are uh, attentive to the fact that you're, um, uh, you're who you are and the fact that you uh, look after uh, the, the FS club. Um, uh, I would just like to say a few words about what's coming next. Um, so. Um, Deception and truth analysis for investors on uh, on, on Monday. Um, I think we'll uh, be of interest to quite a few of the people who are here today. Um, uh, then if that hasn't made you gloomy enough, this is how they tell me the world ends about cyber weaponry on, um, on, 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 on Thursday. But then to, to brighten the mood after uh, Thursday, on Friday, we have the launch of the Global Financial Centers Index number 30. Um, which is uh, usually a good news story, a very interesting story for many of the uh, people who come to our uh, webinars. And then on, on Monday, um, uh, something very interesting, I've certainly got this date in my diary, on modern monetary theory, something old, something new, something borrowed, um, and something true. Um, so thank you very much for, 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 for listening, and do join us again over the next couple of weeks if you are able. My final um, vote of thanks is to um, Anthony, of course, um, uh, under um, uh, normal circumstances, there would be a round of applause, and I am imagining a, a in, in the metaverse, applause have broken out um, uh, 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 across the country or indeed around the world. It was a very international audience um, today. We can't, unfortunately, let you hear a round of applause, but what I can do um, uh, is, um, it, it, it's, it's ring a bell. It is Mr. Bell Chambers, so I thought I would use a, a Tibetan bell. Um, and what they say of the, of the Tibetan bell um, uh, is that the symbolism of the bell is the search for the perfection of wisdom. And Anthony, I think you have helped us in our search for the perfection of wisdom today with your wonderful uh, remarks. So. The other thing I'd just add is that I see the sun has come out with real vehemence on me, so maybe I have got it right. Uh, well, uh, and, uh, and, and therefore you're helping us to reach enlightenment as well, which is which is wonderful. <laughs> Anthony, thank you so much. Audience, thank you so much. And we'll see you all again very soon. Bye now. Thank you.